his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Without further ado, let's welcome Chris Matthews to our show this Hi. morning. Hey, How are you doing up there? We're doing great. I understand you're a native of Pennsylvania, so quasi Oh, a native home. of, uh, yeah. let's see, uh, Philadelphia, uh, northeast Philly, right on the Bucks County border, Somerton. Yeah, that's where I'm from. So have you been in uh, Scranton and Wilkesbury, Chris? I've been up there. I gave the Friendly Sun speech at uh, Scranton twice now. Uh, all our doctors, the Cohen brothers, are all from up there. My friends, the Casey's are from up there. The Condreds are from up there. My wife's uh, best friend in school, Kelly Kennedy's father's from up there. Now we got some roots up in Scranton. I like how you name dropped the Scrantonians. I find that nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Irish have taken over all the mansions from the old wasps that used to own them, so they're up there selling holy water or whatever up there. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing okay. Yeah. Before we get to the book, which we will, I would be remiss in my duties if I didn't ask you your thoughts on uh, the dismissal of Matt Lauer from NBC wow. Today. Uh, how how well do you know Matt? Well, I know him pretty well. I got the message. I guess we all did at uh, six forty nine this morning. Six forty nine. It moved from Andy Lack to us, and um, it it, um, it sounds like the decision that Firem was made. Um, well, last night, I guess, um, and it sounds like they've been deliberating on this for 24 hours or so. I'm just trying to interpolate from what I've interpreted, what I've gotten out of this very short, short message. And obviously, Chris, at some point today, you're going to have to talk about this from your perspective somewhere, right? So yeah. when you hear things like this, are you are you in disbelief? Are you shocked? Are you well, sad? I'm hard to shock. I'm hard to shock. Okay. I, I, I know the guy only is really on the air, uh, you know, starting back in the 90s. Um, he is very professional about the way he does the show. He gets up every day and does. He's a great interviewer, and yet people still like him. He's a tough interviewer that people still like, which is a real challenge to be both. Anybody can be likable, but not everybody. But it's easy to be likable, but it's hard to be likable and be a tough interviewer. And he seems to be able to handle the, the lighter stuff and also the deadly serious stuff really well. I don't know. Um, knowing the way the media covers the media now, we're going to know everything in 24 hours. I mean, this we are really focused on, certainly at the highest level that he was at. I was just thinking that, you know, I was talking about this with my, my producer yesterday, you know, all the famous names I grew up around, you know, starting with like Peter Jennings and uh, Dan Rather and uh, my God, all of them, and, and Charlie Rose now and uh, Brian Williams, everybody has suffered, a, either passed away or suffered, Tim Russert either passed away or suffered a major career fall in just the last 10 years or so. It's been all over the place. Larry King, it's just been all over the place. I mean, I don't know who's left of the Kings. I can't think of one. You know? Yeah, it, it does put it in perspective. And the Queens, Barbara Waters yeah. retired, but she had about the best run you could ever have. Diane Sawyer retired after a fantastic, clean career. Those two women went out right. on top. But it's getting very hard to go out on top these days. It just This is, uh, the scrutiny's brutal, 
and the people's are they're they're people with their own problems we didn't we didn't know about. I didn't know all this Charlie Rose thing. Do you know him well, Chris? I knew Charlie Rose pretty well. I like him a lot. I've I've always felt an affection both ways. I I feel I always liked him. He I say he liked my wife and I. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, charm is one thing, and when you meet people occasionally and they're charming and fun and upbeat, that goes for a lot with friendships. You you don't know what the other darker stuff is. You just I know one thing. Men don't talk about this stuff. I've. You never hear about some guy saying, I, I got this woman to do something by forcing her to do something. I mean, I think guys like to think of themselves, most guys, as being attractive and charming and, and winsome. They don't think of themselves as, as bullies when it comes to women. But you know, certainly don't hear people talk about it, so it's almost always a secret what this bad stuff that goes on. When, so. you, read, when you read the stuff about Charlie Rose, and it was, it was pretty detailed, did you like him less after that did you think how could you do this to people and and certainly um in, in the media chris you know it's very hard to break into the media so these women said over and over again i just wanted the work i just wanted a chance i just wanted a job because it is so difficult to get work yeah i know that this my daughter is just going to be in the, in the workplace next year um i'm thinking um that's a great question. How do you integrate all your feelings towards somebody with what you heard about them secondhand? I mean, heard about them otherwise, which you believe. I think it affects the way you think about people. I mean, look how we how did we put together Bill Clinton in one package? I once talked to D.D. Myers about Bill Clinton, and we all know everything, pretty much everything about Bill Clinton. I mean, you can be a defender, but you still know it all. And um, and she said it's all true. The good, the bad, everything. It's all true. You know, and I think. I think that's true about the people I write about. You know, I think it's all true. It's not like you you got to take it all. And then do you ever – I don't know if you ever really put it down on the table and say, well, let's weigh this against that and let's combine it in, in some sort of formula about the person and say, here's what I think. It's generally you don't like people, you don't like them, and then you learn they did things bad, you know those things, but you still like them. I'm not sure likability and friendship. I, mean, I just wrote this book about Bobby Kennedy, right. and he liked Joe McCarthy to the end. He went off to the gravesite for the guy. He he uh, he was so destroyed. His daughter Kathleen said he drove around the airport three times when he heard that Joe had drank himself to death. Uh, but he knew, he had condemned him. He knew he learned from the mistakes of McCarthy, but he loved the guy. And uh, and and I'm not sure love and and moral merit are judged together. I don't think we judge to I think you, you can... Well, fiction's filled with these incredibly attractive... Uh, Long John Silver, these people that are incredibly attractive. Orson Welles and the third band. Awful people that are incredibly magnetic as personalities. That just That's the case and to, of life. To, to get to your book, though, and, and to talk about the Kennedys and the way that, uh, you know, some people have a picture of uh, Jesus Christ and they have a picture of John Kennedy next to each other, there was a lot of adulation for sure for them as, as a family, an institution, Camelot, all that stuff. And yet, as we both know, Chris, they also had... Some some issues and some secrets. Well, it's, so, it's yeah. not all well, Mary Jo Kopechny from up there. Sure. I mean, we all these are facts, and the way that Ted Kennedy handled that thing or didn't handle it at Chappaquiddick was awful. And there's no excuses for it beyond. I mean, there's unbelievable part uh, there and, and and wrongdoing and and Jack's pr- promiscuity was all over the place and the risks he was taking besides the moral misbehavior. 
was unbelievable. We were protected at the time by the fact that the Kennedys were, no matter what anybody says, they were discreet generally compared to today, and they didn't go out having dinner with people like Hollywood people do. They didn't throw it in people's faces. But, um, you know, um, the President of the United States is supposed to behave differently. And um, if it had gotten out that he was having an affair with G- Sam Giancana's girlfriend, Judy Campbell, the, the, the Al Capone successor, a hitman, and he's hanging out with the same woman, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, it didn't get out at the time, but it was real. I can tell you that. And Bobby was scared to death of this stuff. He was always trying to get his brother stop hanging around with Sinatra, who was mobbed up, and, and, and stop dealing with these people. And uh, But Jack was uh, a daring dude, sort of guy who just wouldn't, he had to have it forced upon him. You know, he had to tell Johnny, stop hanging around with Sinatra. And he had to get somebody to go in and warn him about Judy Campbell and ended up took her, Jager, Jager Hoover to get uh, Jack to stop having his, his affair with uh, Judy Campbell. And then, then Jack later was involved with Ellen Romish, who was, uh, you know, a German. It was unquestionable what she was up to. And he'd gone out with Inga Binga back in the 40s. And, you know, Inga Binga would, had her picture taken at Herman Goering's Ger- uh, wedding, and, she, and her picture taken actually with Hitler. And, 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 and Jagger Hoover was all after that relationship. I mean, <laughs> and, you st- and you still look up to Jack Kennedy as one of our greatest presidents. I do. I don't know how we put it together, but you have to intellectually put it together, and morally you deal with it, you know. Yeah. In, in terms of uh, Robert Kennedy's place in the family, he's kind of a mid-pack, and, and it's a tough place to be because he had, uh, obviously, these uh, individuals to look up to, and, and there were some people in this family that were very esteemed. So as the middle of the packer, how did that shape his uh, early life and his career in politics? Well, so you know, you're leading me into exactly what the book's about. I, yep. think, I think everybody remembers, I mean, Wordsworth, the poet, said, the child is father to the man. In other words, more powerful than our parents are to us are our memories of being a kid. Our memories of being a kid really are our parents. It tells us about life. If you're born short, the short kid in the family, the runt, as Joe Kennedy called his son Bobby, the runt, the five eight kid rather than the six foot brothers, they're the big stars of the family. You're the nobody. In fact, literally the nobody in the family. I call him the Irish kid that wasn't going to get the land. He wasn't going to get anything until he got really tough, became a jock at Harvard, won his letter at Harvard, became his brother's top enforcer for all those 10 years or so. He's just the enforcer, the tough guy, the ruthless guy. Only then did Joe Kenny, the father, pay any attention to him. That's the only way he could win the father's love. And it took him a long time to outgrow his father. I think really what changed at the end was Bobby's father had that uh, stroke and couldn't push him around anymore. And Bobby began to be the Bobby he wanted to be from the beginning, which is a pretty sweet young kid who cared about people, who wasn't a ruthless guy. And at the end, the last five years or so, Bobby really was looking out for people like himself who had been overlooked in life. And the, the circumstances of his uh, rise, I mean, we look now at the, the, the Trumps in the White House, obviously, and the family relationships of individuals who are yeah. tied closely to the president. Those family relationships, Chris, was that an acceptable way to govern at the time to actually no. say, here's my brother? it's a terrible and, way to yeah. govern. I mean, nepotism, well, you know where the word nepotism comes from. I mean, it means the Pope has a kid. They called him nephewism, but the joke was they weren't his nephews. They were his kids. 
And and nephewism or nepotism is a terrible thing because once you hire a kid, you know you can't fire him. And the only thing, the only difference between Bobby and say Jared Kushner is that Bobby was competent to be one of the great attorney generals of all times, which he was, leading a whole fight for civil rights in the South and guiding his brother through the Cuban Missile Crisis and everything else he did. Besides, also trying to keep his brother out of trouble with the mob and girlfriends, doing all that, Kushner's probably going to end up getting his father in trouble, father-in-law in trouble. So Bobby was looking out for the president. This president, I think, it's going to turn out. We don't know for sure. Nobody does. He's looking. At, he's worrying about what his kids. Are, you know, Don Jr. said to some Russian, or what deal Jared was cooking up with the Russians. I mean, he shouldn't have to have relatives to worry about. I know most presidents do, like Jimmy Carter had Billy Carter, and Nixon had and his brother, Don Nixon, causing trouble with him. But now they've got relatives right in the White House causing trouble. That's a problem. Well, we'll see how it shakes out, and I think it's too premature to Who talk. knows? Yeah. Who knows? I think, I, I think President some... Trump will be president for four years, so we'll see. Yeah, and I think some of it is just uh, wishing doesn't make it so, but we'll see, because I don't think we have the goods yet, and we'll wait to see what happens. That's right. But in terms of, let's go back to uh, Robert Kennedy, who you write about in, in your new book, and that's really why you're here today. When you look at... The, the situation where you say he was a, a great attorney general, the enforcer, somebody who was adept and skilled at handling a multitude of situations, whether they be personal, professional, governmental, what, what do you think would have happened should he have been elected president of the United States? What do you see as uh, the things that we missed out on because he was killed? Well, first of all, he's recognized as one of the great attorneys general because, I mean, the building is now named after him, uh, the Justice Department building. But I think, you know, the issue of the time in 1968 was the Vietnam War, and he really wanted to end it, and he wanted to have negotiations then uh, involving the uh, the uh, political wing of the uh, Viet Cong and the government in Saigon. He wanted them to get together and form. He didn't say a coalition government, but to try to end the fighting so he understood that the thing was a stalemate back then. It would end up a stalemate. It wasn't going to change, and that, uh, that the, the Vietnamese were going to stay in that country on the other side from us. They were going to be there when we left. It's just a question of when we do leave. And whenever we left, they would be the powerful forces. Like, they just weren't going to be. So we had to deal with them. And, Bobby, you're going to kill all of them. You can't kill all the Viet Cong. They're a big part of the country. So I think the Vietnam War would have been, we lost. If you get down to the Vietnam Memorial, half the people died after '68. Uh, hopefully, with a, an earlier negotiation that we had, instead of in 72, 73, it would have been in 69. And we would have had probably the same exact deal, which is we get to leave and bring home our POWs. That we wouldn't have gotten much better. We might have gotten even a better deal back then. Who knows? But we would have had to deal our way out of there. Um, what else? I think that the divisions we're in today, uh, the, the, the class divisions, a lot of this stuff, the hard hats versus the long hairs, all that was well underway back in 68, 69. And I think the, uh, the, the, the sort of fight down in America between the, uh, the educated elite, and as I refer to them as their endless Carol King concerts, celebrating themselves, that group 
is so alienated now from the regular old working class Democratic Party of Irish, Italians, Polish people uh, that, that, that it seems like it always was that way. But it wasn't always that way. That's really grown since the Vietnam War when the elite uh, turned against the war and the working people, the hard hats, stuck with it. So I really think if we had ended that war and that, that, that division hadn't occurred, it wouldn't be like it is today. Today there's that vicious division by class that um, and education, I guess, that has caused so much trouble. And I think that wouldn't have been. Bobby's people, as so many people have said, his people were cops and waitresses and firefighters. He was never an elite guy. I remember the first time I heard about him was that when I was a Capitol cop, that he was the guy that the only liberal Democratic senator who always paid attention and said hello to the cops when he came in in the morning. And he, he was he was a guy they called his staff people who, who they he called him, they called him Bob. It was much his friends were these work, people worked with him. He wasn't an aristocrat like Jack at all. And I think that division Bobby would have worked against it. I think it would be more united country. Look at the people who who uh, saluted him along the train tracks when his body was taken by at the end from New York to Washington. It's all working poor white people saluting him. It's all these pictures of my book. It's it's so powerfully emotional, that, that connection, that gut patriotism that these families felt towards Bobby Kennedy, that's all not in the Democratic Party anymore. It's just gone. It's gone. How do you, and I, I don't like them, I want to be perfectly clear with you, I don't like political dynasties in family. I just don't like it. Um, well, I'm with you. Well, I don't think there's yeah. any reason for them, except that the Kennedys really weren't a dynasty. There was the two brothers, and the, th- the third brother well, benefited from the right? two brothers. Yeah, yeah, but he was never in power, never in politics. Well, he, he was never I, elected anything. He spent a long time in Washington. Did he have no power? Ted? Who, Joe? Ted. Yeah, okay, you can call that a dynasty. I don't think, like, everybody runs around saying how Joe, the kid now, the grandson of Bobby, should uh, be a, a, a president. I go, what, are you kidding me? You know, you got to prove yourself. And, uh... That's the trouble in Washington today. It's not just the dynasties. People are running around saying, well, this person would be a great president. I say, who? Oh, they're so attractive. I go, what? Attractive? Is that how we do it now? So Kamala Harris from California, who's been in office about a month, she's going to be president of the United States. Cory Booker's going to be president. What, are you kidding me? Where's all this? What, what, what have they done? And I, and, I, and I don't ever go by blood. I mean, I don't know why people would want somebody like you just because they're, they're related to somebody. But I think Bobby proved himself. And later on, Teddy, much more of a mixed bag, did become a very good senator. I mean, I'm not beating his drum, but he did become a very good senator. And uh, these other, there is a lot of this talk about Joe, and I, I'm with you on that. I am. All right. Well, Chris Matthews, it was so great of you to be on today to talk about. So you're him. in Pittston, huh? Yeah, you're big. P- yeah, stop by. Right next between yeah, uh, Wilkesbury and Scranton, right? Yes, conveniently located between the Twin Cities. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to stop yeah, in, Chris, I'm when you're in town. I'm trying to think of who I know from up there. I just who I know from. Uh, Clark. Clark. A guy named Clark, he's a, he's a coal lobbyist. I know him. First name, last name, Clark. Last name? Last name, Clark. Okay, well. Of course, th- it's the last name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know any Clark first name people like that. Right. Anyway. Well, Chris, it was uh, great to have you on the show today, and uh, don't be a stranger. We'd like to have you on in the future if you're oh, up for so it. Give me a call when you need me. Okay? All right. Chris Matthews. Okay. Merry-, All right. Merry Christmas. I cut him off because he said Christmas. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. 
but with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.